0: Hello and welcome to Frankenstein podcast from Planet 13. It's the horror punk movie podcast.
1: Yeah, boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Off to an incredible start. (laughs) I'm Georgia. I'm Andy. Uh, And every week on this podcast, we're going to offer up uh, a pairing of a horror punk song and a movie. Uh, for your enjoyment. Think of us as your horror punk sommelier.
1: I don't know what a sommelier is, but I like the sound of that. Yeah,
0: uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what well, do you want to explain it? For me? Oh, for make, for yeah. Explain it for people who might not know.
1: Not you, you do know. I, you I, know. I know, a hor- horror punk smel- smelly <laughs> guy.
0: A sommelier is the person at the restaurant who offers you a wine that pairs perfectly with what you're going to eat. Oh. So we are offering you a horror punk song that pairs perfectly with the film you're going to watch. Or okay. maybe the other way around.
1: And we have got the d- dessert cart of horror punk songs. We've got the wine cellar of horror movies. Mm. And together we're going to bring you the perfect purring of tart and sweet.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You, you can barely tell you're, uh, you're winging it.
1: And you can barely tell that I'm really nervous. Cool. Should we get into it?
0: Yeah, let's get into
1: it. So what song have you got for us?
0: Okay, so uh, this week uh, we are starting with a song by uh, probably the best known horror punk band. We're starting with a Misfits song. Uh, this one is from their 1999 album, Famous Monsters. Uh, we're starting with Dust to Dust.
1: I love that song. Yeah? Uh, it's one of my favorite songs in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, what do, you, what do you like about it? Like, it's I mean, off a banger of an album. It's
1: off a banger of the album. It is, I believe, the second track on the album. The second real track after Kong at the Gates. Uh, if, oh, if my memory serves me correct, it goes from... Oh no, wait. Damn, hang on. There's Forbidden Zone, Lost in Space, then dust to dust or am I getting confused? Anyway, it's right at the start in this perfect trilogy of just rip roaring, fast, high energy punk songs. It's got Graves on vocals. I still can't choose between Graves and Danzig. I can't I want them both. I want my cake and I want to eat it. But Graves is an incredible singer. And it's the most sing along it's it's misfits at the perfect sing-along best.
0: Yeah, I am inclined to agree with everything you've said, but I'm actually going to, uh, I'm going to make a statement. It's the first episode of the podcast. I feel like the first episode of your podcast is where you... Do
1: it. Get us st- cancelled right now.
0: Yeah. All right. I think that Michael Graves is so much better than Danzig. I have a lot of love for Danzig-era misfits. And I think that like Danzig's voice is really good and does some great stuff in that era on those earlier albums i i think that graves is kind of objectively a better singer and the thing that i really appreciate uh is just it's that this the graves era of the misfits is a little bit like less edgy on purpose
1: yeah the subject matter is definitely less edgy than some of the danzig era songs that is true it's
0: I mean, it's probably a little bit weird for me to be a big horror punk fan and also be like, oh, it's a little bit edgy on purpose. <laughs> like, I, I get that I understand the concept of the genre, but I think this is probably going to be something that comes up loads in the course of us recording this series, right? When it comes to horror movies, I like things that are spooky, not things that are scary. Yes. And when it comes to horror punk, I like it campy. Yes. I don't want to be confronted with, the you know the worst excesses of what Danzig wants to bring to the music even though there's some incredible songs like Last Caress is a really good song I just don't really want to deal with its subject matter
1: yeah yeah if someone if I was going to show a Misfits song to someone who'd never heard them before and who I was you know maybe I had to work with them or something (laughs) I probably wouldn't play Last Caress (laughs) I probably (laughs) would play something like Dust to Dust which, yeah, oh, I know, but I was, I was actually listening to Astro Zombies um, this morning, and Danzig starts that song basically with a wolf howl, mm. and it's magic, it is magical, but you you are right, Graves is a phenomenal singer, I had the privilege of being able to watch Graves sing American Psycho and Famous Monsters in their entirety <laughs> at a recent tour um, he did, which you know, he, he did still have that magic. He's still got that voice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love this song.
0: Yeah, Um. I guess this might be a moment to say something and we can decide to edit this out if we feel it's not really what we're going for. But like, in my mind, this is a death of the author podcast, right? Like, we enjoy the music, we enjoy the films. We are not going to get too caught up in is such and such a musician or such and such a director or actor... A good person if they done bad things yeah i think there's a limit on that like if we branched out into shock rock i don't i wouldn't go through i wouldn't go near anything by marilyn manson with a 10-foot pole or anything like that but i think you know questionable political statements by uh, various members of various bands i i'm not here to talk about those i'm Absolutely just here not. to appreciate the art
1: yes i agree and i'm you know i yeah i agree i don't i know i know what you're referring to with graves and yeah i don't i just don't really want to get into that nonsense to be <laughs> yeah, honest
0: exactly like we can just recognize that this is a guy who's made some music that is really important to both of us i think and who is a, a great singer who's certainly at one time an unbelievable showman like there's some of the early footage like that's sort of very late 90s, early 2000s gigs. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. High energy. He was with them for such a brief period of time. He was
0: so young as well. Yeah. He was like 19 or something.
1: I don't... Th- I, I don't think he... It was maybe four years? I don't know. I'll have to look into it, but... So. What are we purring with this misfit song, Dust to Dust? We've got our audio. to our video.
0: Well I think I want- I think I want you to guess. Like, it's a, it's a a very straight up and down pairing.
1: So, the, the song Dust to Dust, my interpretation of it, and the Misfits song on Famous Monsters Aren't really. There's not much room for interpretation. They didn't bring
0: a lot of nuance.
1: (laughs) We have a we have a bit of a standing joke um, about the Misfits song "Return of the Fly," don't we? (laughs) Yeah. Because the chorus is "Return of the Fly" with Vincent Price. (laughs) There's not a lot of room for interpretation. (laughs) I don't think he was singing about the house on haunted hill. Um, Dust to to dust. It's gonna be Frankenstein. It's gonna be Frankenstein. It's gonna be The Bride of Frankenstein.
0: Yeah, there it is. It's gonna
1: be The Bride of Frankenstein.
0: So yeah, the our film pairing for this week is we are pairing Dust to Dust by The Misfits with uh, the 1935 Black and White uh, directed by James Whale, Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, Karloff Returns.
1: Karloff Returns, yes. Was it, I believe it was one, was it one year after the original Frankenstein?
0: Something like that, maybe two. I actually don't know off the top of my head. I think, was the Invisible Man in between?
1: Yes, possibly. Um, So no, it was a full four years after the original Frankenstein. And I believe that in the original Frankenstein, Boris Karloff was a complete unknown. Mm. And then with The Bride of Frankenstein, they... The poster simply declared in huge letters, Karloff Returns. That was how much Universal believed in the fact that Boris Karloff could get butts on seats and could get people into the cinema.
0: Well, he was a proven quantity by then as well because he'd been the mummy. He'd
1: been the mummy. Been a uh, Oh, I can't think of what the mummy's name was in no, the movies. Me but...
0: I want to say Imhotep. <laughs> but that might be from the Brendan Fraser mummies.
1: It was. It began with an A, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah, okay. that's getting off track. S- side track. around to the mummy. Are there any songs about the mummy? Maybe the uh, email has let us know. Yeah, if you're Maybe.
0: listening to this, uh, why not let us know if there's a horror punk song about the mummy? I will say that I haven't found any in the course of my research. So, the Bride of Frankenstein. The
1: Bride of Frankenstein. So
0: we watched this fairly recently. Yes. I think we both probably have quite a lot to say about it. Yeah my the thing that i'm going to say first off the bat is that this is widely regarded as the jewel in the crown of the so-called golden age of universal monster movies. Yeah. This is uh out of all of the the so-called golden age monster movies, so uh Frankenstein, the mummy, Dracula, Dracula the uh,
1: invisible man, you've already mentioned.
0: This is one of the 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 highest rated and sort of consistent um You know uh like reviews and stuff
1: it's their iconic figurehead isn't it of the universal monster movies
0: and i watched it for the first time recently firstly it was very much not what i expected and secondly i'm really surprised that it's highly as highly regarded as it is which is not to say that it's bad but having watched a lot of universal horror recently I don't think it's on the same kind of level as something like Dracula, or even maybe The Mummy. It's it's very different.
1: It, it feels more uh, a film made for the purpose of being a film. I know Dracula was a stage play mm-hmm. that was essentially filmed. I might be wrong about that, but I, be- I do believe that Bela Lugosi played Dracula in, on, on stage, and they... It's a lot of static shots and a lot of big sets mm. as if you're just basically watching a, a play This one did it went in for that high impact, you know, it starts with the castle crumbling and the special effects there's debris falling and you see that it's That's the, the, the windmill, right? Like the windmill, So it starts
0: sorry. with the uh, the final...
1: The end of Well, these. the
0: story starts with the end of the previous Frankenstein. How? But we haven't even talked about...
1: The previous Frankenstein.
0: The, well, the framing device. They oh, yeah, the Mary Shelley with, and with Byron. Ma- Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley and Byron sort of in a, on a rainy night together and Mary Shelley basically sort of saying, well, actually I wrote a sequel to, <laughs> <laughs> to Frankenstein.
1: Which... Which... D- did um, one of my big gripes about the original Universal Monsters Frankenstein movie is it doesn't really adhere to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein all that much. Um, the Bride of Frankenstein, which wasn't written by Mary Shelley, does have a lot more elements of the original Frankenstein novel in it, such as his encounter with the blind man in the hut. Um, and it is, it's such it's a strange sort of pieced together film that is at once... A
0: Frankenstein, if you will.
1: <laughs> oh, it is, it is. It, it feels like, uh, you know, oh, I feel like I've not done my research coming into this. It feels like maybe the first sequel in Hollywood.
0: I'm certain that that can't be right. But I know that James Whale was under a huge amount of pressure to make a Frankenstein sequel. The Universal bosses really wanted him to make it and he refused for a couple of years. I think that's why there's that four-year gap.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and they, he only agreed to do it once they gave him a lot of creative control, which is how the, um, the Mary Shelley portion ends up in it. Right. That was all sort of his vision.
1: It, it does feel quite cobbled together. Mm. I mean, that scene, it feels like some scenes are included purely to get across new special effects they'd just figured out. The scene where the, the, the professor <laughs> has tiny people in jars.
0: Yeah, the homunculi in the jars scene.
1: That feels like they'd just discovered how to do, I believe it was not green screen, but a kind of black velvet screen that the actors would stand in front of and they could make it look like they were really small and in jars. And it's so inconsequential to the movie, it feels like it should be huge. The whole premise of Frankenstein is, here is a man playing God, he has stolen cadavers, chopped them up and pieced them back together to create life from dead corpses. And they kind of gloss over this other man who has created life and keeps it in little jars and they do silly little dances and they've got crushes on each other and stuff. I really could have done without just completely edited out of the film because it made it it's like the film didn't know if it wanted to be serious or silly
0: Mm, which I think is quite uh, quite an era specific thing I Mm. feel um, Una O'Connor who's also in The Invisible Man does another turn as a sort of hysterical housemaid named Minnie uh, and she's very much in the sort of comic relief mode. Yeah, the character of Dr. Pretorius, who's this other mad doctor, is really interesting in the film like uh so in the the original Universal Frankenstein, firstly Dr. Frankenstein is not Victor, he's Henry Frankenstein. Henry
1: Frankenstein.
0: Because they thought that Victor would be too unsympathetic or something, but you know, he um he is a more heroic figure in a way in this one in Bride of Frankenstein. Even though he's still making terrible decisions and generally uh,
1: Yeah, he's he's caused all this misery. He's yeah.
0: But he gets kind of a happy ending. He survives and he gets to marry his fiancee and
1: Yeah. It feels a little bit movie made by committee. Well it probably wasn't, but has that kind of like the ending to the original Frankenstein, it, it almost feels like they had to retcon it.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it. I, I, it might not be the first sequel, but it feels like the first retcon because yeah. the original Frankenstein ends with the burning windmill collapsing and the monster is dead. Yeah. Spoiler alert! <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the bride starts, and they basically uh, the there's a water a sort of um a, a flooded cellar underneath the windmill, and the monster fell down there and survived.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the monster, we haven't really touched on the monster much.
0: No, and there's another thing that we haven't touched on.
1: Well, (laughs) given the amount of screen time she gets in the movie, that's fine. Yeah. Much like Mr. Whale, we'll leave her to the end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The monster returns. Yeah. Karloff returns. Um, What did you think of the monster in The Bride of Frankenstein? Did you feel sympathy towards him? He...
0: I mean perhaps less so than I did in Frankenstein. I feel again this is this is relates to what you just said about how they they almost didn't know if they wanted it to be silly or not. Yeah, the monster is very <laughs> he's very different in the Pride of Frankenstein to Would how he Would you say is. he
1: loves life in this film?
0: He's, he's a... He's a bit of a, a large living man. He yeah. gets introduced to the joys of drinking wine and smoking cigars. Yeah. And he loves it.
1: He likes listening to the fiddle. He does. Doesn't he... like fire. Still St- not keen on fire. Still
0: not keen on fire. One of the things that really affects Karloff's portrayal of the monster in this one is that they have him speak. And it affects his portrayal of the monster in two ways. The first one, obviously, is that uh, it, as you've actually said it's truer to the book the monster learns to speak uh, and is actually really articulate in the book but in the films he's much more sort of like fire bad <laughs> uh, but, when <laughs> he, <laughs> but when he can speak it really changes the character and in a way makes him more sympathetic but also a little bit uh more of a complex character i suppose the other way in which karloff having to speak in this film changes the portrayal of the monster is that he had to put his false teeth back in so so that's why the monster's face looks really different
1: so he doesn't have the sunken cheeks yeah he had like
0: partial bridge work on the top on his top jaw i guess you're more of a tooth expert than me uh but yeah the sort of don't provide any context for that whatsoever (laughs) i won't (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah like that very iconic gaunt look from the first film is is sort of his physical facial features but because he had to talk in this one he couldn't take his bridge out so this monster's got like a fuller face right he's also um they did they didn't use the exact same makeup effects, they yeah. they added more bits to make him seem more burnt having yeah. survived the windmill fire. He had
1: like singed her, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, I noticed that.
0: There's some cool attention to detail in it, but yeah, how did you feel oh. about the monster in this one?
1: I agree with you. I think they made him talk a little bit too much, because the the final lines, mm. we belong dead. If I feel like it's so impactful, it is impactful anyway. It, it, It sends chills up your spine when you hear it, but if they had him say less during the movie I think hearing him say that at the end would have really been a a gut-wrenching like, oh wow, like moment Uh, Yeah, I don't know he There's a lot of I feel like this film created a lot of the tropes a lot of the genre Tropes that we see lifted from Universal monster movies that have become ingrained not just in in media and parody, but also just basically in our psyche. And the portrayal of Frankenstein monster in this has created some pretty, uh, some tropes that are used to sort of diminish the credibility of monster movies. And I can see that they do exist for a reason, because there's a lot of just shambling around and grunting and groaning. Which you're going to get in a Frankenstein movie, but it felt like there was just too much of it. It felt to me like in 1935, some studio executive did sit down and say, People want to see the monster. The monster sells tickets. Get the monster on screen. You know, if the monster's (laughs) not on screen, the characters should all be asking, Where's Where's the the monster? monster? (laughs) So you get a lot of the monster in this. And it may be too much. Maybe too much. I feel like this is where we start to get a glimpse of all those Frankenstein sequels without Karloff Mm. that are just around the corner that sees a fatigue and a burnout on Universal Monster movies.
0: And that eventually leads us to the sort of Abbott and Costello, you know, the studio that made those films, producing these films that openly parody them.
1: Yeah, this is that. De- I feel like this is the start of that. But it is. I mean, like, my heart. I love Frankenstein. I love seeing that monster on the screen. I would like to see the Bride more.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. Having said that, we see a little bit too much, perhaps, of Karloff's monster uh elsa lancaster's bride is not in the film it, she she's more or less in about the last six minutes but what
1: a six minutes
0: i mean it is the absolute pinnacle it, that the whole portion in the tower with dr pretorius and henry frankenstein and the monster and the bride i can see why that scene yeah that portion is considered this kind of highlight of the universal monster movies got some really cool effects the set is awesome
1: oh the sets the sets are incredible that is a true golden age of sets and set building and set design the the way that the lightning comes down this kind of central mechanism and it's just huge and you're just looking at it thinking how did they build? how big were these lots, these backlots that they filmed this stuff on, how big were they? They must have been like aircraft hangers.
0: Did we have any Seen That Set moments watching this one? I think there might be a Dracula set reuse in this.
1: The, was it the, the Crypt of Dracula was used with Dr. Pre- Pre- Dr. Pretorius? Pretor- um, and the monster, yeah. Those, those columns and like arches seem to have been reused, I think.
0: I think so. We well, uh yeah. I mean I love a scene that set.
1: Yeah, me too, me too. I think um the Woodland that the Frankenstein's monster is chased through was later reused in the Wolfman.
0: Yeah, if it if it wasn't reused it's very similar. Yeah. Um
1: Um Oh yeah, and the bride. Uh who was the actress called, sorry?
0: Elsa Lancaster.
1: Elsa Lancaster's portrayal of the bride, the juxtaposition between Boris Karloff's lumbering, not not really a brute, but kind of clumsy, childlike monster mm. who's developed his slow speech and he's he's the tallest guy in the room and he's big, heavy feet. And <laughs> Elsa Lancaster, with this kind of like a hummingbird or like a wasp or something. It's very, very quick rapid movements, constantly looking around the room as if she's she's seeing everything for the very first time and there's a a tense she's like a coiled spring, is that yeah. what they
0: say? It, uh, yeah, a very sort of dancerly portrayal as well. Yeah. Con- especially considering that she's on stilts for the performance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it, straight away, she makes it seem like she's an otherworldly thing. She is different from humans. And uh, done in a way that I I actually haven't seen that parodied. I've seen Karloff's Frankenstein monster parodied to death. you watch watched a Scooby-Doo cartoon or, or anything. You've seen that arms out, lumbering. Grrr. I don't really see the bride's portrayal. Really I wonder
0: if in up. part that's there's just not enough to go on. Yeah, People will sort of know the Bride of Frankenstein as this iconic figure. Uh, You know, whenever I think about sort of um, horror movie parodies and stuff, I do think I think about The Simpsons, you know, Treehouse of Horror and stuff, and I know that like Marge is dressed up as the Bride. Yeah, they do um, the look. Because the hair, yeah, you'll see the look.
1: But not but the there's, al- there's
0: almost not enough in the it's not She's not on screen long enough for you to really...
1: Yeah. If, if you haven't, if anyone listening hasn't seen the movie, maybe just check out a YouTube clip or something of the bride, and the way she moves, and the way she looks around constantly, and she brings such a, like, tense anxiety to the scene. It's almost like you're waiting, like, oh, what's she gonna do? What's...
0: Well, it's an incredibly tense scene anyway, isn't it? Because this is the moment that, in a way, the whole film has been leading up to. But also, sort of... Um, it's this addition to the Frankenstein story, of uh, Shelley's Frankenstein, that that was what the monster really wanted as a partner, yeah. a mate. And so there's a huge amount of tension. Uh, is it going to work? Is it going to... Like, they know they've, they've successfully brought her to life, so that part's worked, but then how is she going to react to him? And mm-hmm. with this incredible tense, anxious performance that you're talking about, it really builds the tension. And uh, and then, of course, you sort of reach the uh, the climax of the film where she recoils from oh. the monster in horror. and belonged,
1: <laughs> I Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. You say... Um... You said two things that I want to kind of pick up on. One, you said the word mate, which I think was on the poster, wasn't it? The monster demands a mate or something. But I'm just thinking in the movie, the first thing he says is, it's been, I can't remember if it was, is like, you create man? And he's like, no, woman. Did he want a dude? <laughs> Have we just blown this whole thing wide open? Was he being forced into this arranged marriage? And actually, he just wanted, like, another himbo.
0: <laughs> I don't think anyone's called the monster a himbo before.
1: Oh, the monster's a himbo! Surely, he's not got a lot of brains, but he's got a big, muscly bod.
0: Yeah, he's, he's brawny, strong. Is he kind? That's the third part of the himbo trifecta.
1: I think he's kind. I think he tries to be kind, and he, he gets a bit confused, and he throws a young girl in the lake. He's kinder
0: in The Bride, actually. He saves a young woman from drowning, and he yeah. makes a friend with the blind man. Yeah, he's, he's a himbo. Okay, a little okay. himbo. Confirmed.
1: <laughs> Tally that down. First. Yeah, this
0: is an ongoing segment now. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time to find out whether the Invisible Man is a himbo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, the Invisible Man is not a himbo.
0: No, also I don't think I've got a horror punk song pairing, so you get a bonus himbo rating.
1: I know, I'll we'll have to find. There must be. There must be. We need to listen to more horror punk. We need well, to, that 24th hour of the day, we need to carry on. Mm, listening well, I to could
0: probably punk. go without sleep.
1: Yeah. Who needs sleep when you've got the Misfits and the Bride of Frankenstein? So, Misfits, not the Misfits.
0: You <laughs> can edit it. <laughs> um... So, I think that's a good opportunity then for us to transition into the final part of the podcast where we sort of assess how Dust to Dust pairs with Bride of Frankenstein.
1: Right. I mean, it, lyrically, it is all there, isn't it, really?
0: Yeah, this refrain of We Belong Dead.
1: Yeah, so, so Dust to Dust, you get the, the song is from the monster's perspective. Um, I, I believe that really The Bride of Frankenstein is a film from the monster's perspective. I believe the first film, possibly more from uh, Victor, from Henry Frankenstein's perspective. Uh, at least for the first half anyway, whereas this is straight away monster. It's a real monster mash. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah, so... Um, yeah, one of the reasons why I chose this pairing uh, is because I think it's a, a really good example of a horror punk song that is about a monster movie. I think as this podcast goes on, we're going to have more pairings that are kind of like, oh, a horror punk song that mentions a monster movie, or yeah. sort of engages with some of the same themes. Again, Return
1: of the Fly with Vincent Price. Oh,
0: we'll be, we'll be getting to it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, in terms of, like, the lyrical content, like, it's very... uh, quite a sort of... a mournful song about... from the perspective of the monster wondering why he was born and...
1: Yeah, I hate you, father. You have sinned. Why did you let this life begin? Like, wow. That is... It's pretty... They've watched Bride of Frankenstein and they've got it.
0: Yeah, which you cannot always say. When it comes to a misfit song about a film, sometimes they've just heard the title and
1: run with it. In the chorus, it does say, my name's like the kiss of death. But I don't believe he ever gets a name.
0: Maybe that's what it means.
1: Like if you heard his name, that's it. It's over for you
0: and it the the song sort of is really about the climactic moment of the film where the monster pulls the switch that destroys the tower with him the bride and pretorius inside so dust he to dust. he utters the the very famous line we belong dead and then destroys the tower and in the in the chorus of dust to dust it's uh, with these final words i pull the switch and we turn to dust so i think that this is like a very direct interpretation of the film i think it's uh it goes beyond just being inspired by the film to being like a song that really uh, engages with the, with the film directly, and with its themes and characters and ideas.
1: Yeah. It's got the energy of the film as well, I think. It's got that kind of furious energy to it. I feel like the monster's anger... When you watch The Bride of Frankenstein, from the opening scene you kind of know you're not going to get a happy ending for the monster. He's on a, a, not not necessarily a downward spiral, but he's on a collision course, and when he gets to Henry Frankenstein, dust to dust, you know? Yeah. It's got that kind of energy to it. It's such a good, fast-paced horror punk song. Um, Really like the production on Mm -hmm. Famous Monsters, the way the guitars have a kind of beefy, but almost pushed back sound to them. Like... It allows it to be fast without being abrasive. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, this isn't the only horror punk song about the Bride of Frankenstein.
1: That is true, that is true. There is... Are you thinking of who we named this very podcast? The titular band.
0: The titular band, indeed. Wednesday 13's Frankenstein Frankenstein Drag Queens from from Planet 13 13, uh, have a song called Bride of Frankenstein, which is... A bit, a bit more of a liberal interpretation, yeah. uh, in some ways. I mean, a killer song, I think we could have done a whole episode about that as well. Uh, but it's not quite so atmospheric as just like, a, a kind of like, fun, thrash it out.
1: Yeah, rip-roaring. Yeah, thrash it out is the right word. Oh, I love, I love the drag queens. They're so near and dear to my heart. If you asked me to put that song up against Dust to Dust, I do not know what I would pick. I can't pick between Graves and Danzig. I can't pick between the Misfits and the Drag Queens. Frankenstein Drag Queens from Planet Thirteen. Off to a bad start, maybe. (laughs) I'll be I'll
0: be the decisive one.
1: The production on the Drag Queens stuff is so much more rough and ready. That it is it does have that abrasive thing which sometimes you want, sometimes you don't want. It is more punk, it's more DIY.
0: Yeah. And you know Wednesday is just like a, very much a DIY guy.
1: He is. He's inspiring. He's a real. He knows. He'll just do what he wants to do. You gotta respect it.
0: Yeah, uh, and he also um, also references uh, the Bride on a Murder Dolls track. Uh, basically, this podcast is sort of a Wednesday Thirteen fan cast, but not really.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a but love yeah. fest.
0: She, uh, she also appears in B-Movie Scream Queen.
1: b yeah. Along with Vampira. Yep. Elvira. Yep. Morticia. Y- I think so. And
0: Lily Monster.
1: My Lily Monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to listen to the murder laws after this. Yeah, yeah, Dust the Dust, I-, I think, encapsulates The Bride of Frankenstein Perfectly. it's it's a great
0: example (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end of that (laughs) alright so uh, if you have enjoyed this pairing of a horror punk song with a film why not tell us about it you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts you can follow us on twitter that's at planet13pod you can find us on instagram planet
1: underscore 13 underscore podcast and that's the number one three yeah on
0: twitter we are at planet one three podcast
1: see i'm so glad oh, are we using our real names uh, yeah i'm so glad that georgia has got this stuff down i am a bit of a caveman <laughs> when it comes to this stuff i have only just figured out that you can turn the volume up on your tv to listen to movies with sound which is great Which has really changed the game, actually, for The Bride of Frankenstein. Edit this bit out. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're editing these. Oh, (laughs) god damn.
0: And I guess we need some kind of outro line.
1: What about We Belong Dead?
0: Oh, until next week. We Belong
1: Dead. (laughs) I like that. Doesn't that sound cool? We can change it. You know, next week we'll have something else.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, Yeah, depending on what the film is so if you have ideas for a pairing of a horror punk song in a movie why not let us know on our socials uh tell your friends about us please and until next week we belong dead